2: There are more miracles recorded in the scripture of Jesus restoring sight to the blind than any other category of healing. It's as though Jesus and the disciples wanted to make sure that we did not miss the fact that Jesus was the light of the world, that he had come to bring light where there was only darkness and sight where there was only blindness. Now there's an
1: interesting biblical fact that you may find very easy to remember linking healing the sight with Jesus being the light of the world. Welcome to another edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. I'm Mike Trout, and what a privilege it is to have you tuned in today as we continue in the book of John. This is a daily visit. And you can find out more about the ministry on our website at studyversebyverse.com. You can listen to past broadcasts there as well and contribute. We're a nonprofit outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. That's studyversebyverse.com. Pastor Layton uh, begins today in the book of John, the ninth chapter.
2: So let's look at verse one. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, some think that this might have taken place immediately after the events of the previous chapter, that they're still at the feast and, and so forth. But you remember at the end of the previous chapter, the religious leaders were so angry at Jesus that they were willing to pick up stones and stone him. And uh, I'm going to suggest to you that there was a peri- uh, some period of time between the last chapter and this. It might have only been days. It might have been weeks. It might have been months. Uh, it couldn't have been more than six months because uh, Jesus, six months from the last chapter, is going to be going to Calvary's cross. But it was enough time for things to settle down. And this healing probably took place in the city of Jerusalem because Jesus sent the man to the pool of Siloam, and the pool of Siloam is in Jerusalem. And the temple is in Jerusalem, and oftentimes beggars would come to the temple because people, as they were coming to the temple to worship God, would also have a, a generous heart towards their fellow man as well, and, and that was a place where beggars could make their living. In fact, begging was really the only option some people had in that time. When you, lost, when you didn't have sight, when you didn't have strength, all you could do for a living was beg. Now, the other Gospels mention Jesus healing people that were blind, but this is the only place where we have a record of a man Uh, being healed from blindness, who was born blind. And you notice it was Jesus who took the initiative. It was Jesus who saw the man. Verse 2, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world." And so they asked this question, who sinned? Was it this man or, or his parents? And it was based on, a, on an assumption that was very popular in, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish population that any and all suffering is the result of a personal sin. Now, why would they think that? Why would they think that? Well, there's a number of incidents in the Old Testament that indicate that illness comes from sinful behavior, sinful activity. For instance, Miriam was stricken with leprosy when she rebelled against the authority of Moses. And you remember earlier in this gospel, in chapter 5, when Jesus healed the man uh, who had been infirm for 38 years, he said to the man, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And the implication there is that that man's sin in chapter 5 was the result of some kind of a sinful behavior. And Jesus was warning him against going back to that behavior. And then you'll remember in the New Testament, that the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we take the Lord's Supper, we should not do so in an unworthy manner because those who do so, he said, many of you are weak and sick and a number of you sleep. There's a consequence to sinful behavior. And so there are many examples in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New, of uh, ailments and sickness being the result of personal sin. But then that begs the question, wait a minute, this person was born blind so how, how did that happen? You know, did, could, you make, could, you, could you perform a sin before you were even born? And at that time, some Jewish people believed in the preexistence of the soul. Now, they got that idea not from the scriptures, but from Plato and the Greeks. And they believed that souls existed before creation, uh, in, either in the Garden of Eden or the, or the seventh heaven or in a certain chamber, and those, those souls were waiting to enter bodies. And then the Greeks believed that when the soul entered the body, the soul was good, the body was bad, material was bad, and so that the soul was contaminated when the soul and the body were brought together. In fact, that was what created one of the heresies that the early church leaders had to address in Gnosticism. Now the Jewish people had a variation on that. They believed some souls were good and some souls were bad. And so the idea here is this man must have sinned even before his soul was joined with his body. It's not a biblical concept but it was one that was very popular in that time. Now, the alternative is that this man was sick because of a of a sin that his parents committed, and, and that's also a theme that is found in the Scriptures as well. And in fact, uh, God said in Exodus chapter 20, I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So it's one of the themes of the Old Testament is when a parent commits a sin, that's, the consequences of that sin are oftentimes born by their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. None of us are an island. When we do things that are sinful, others are affected. Tragically, there are times when a mother's choices affect the child. If a mother abuses her body with excessive smoking or drinking or substance abuse, the child can be affected. And then also, in a more broad or general sense, the nation of Israel would periodically go through times where they were rebelling against God, and God would give them over to captivity. And sometimes that captivity would last several generations. So the children and the grandchildren of the parents who had committed the sin suffered the consequences of their parents' decision. And so that was a theme as well. And that's one of the reasons why they might have thought in this way and asked these questions. But Jesus clarified it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So in other words, Jesus teaches us that there is not always a direct link between suffering and sinful behavior. That sometimes uh, people are sick because they are sick. And in this particular case, this person was afflicted so that they might show or display the works of God, like was done through the life of Job. And then Jesus went on to say, we must work the works of him who sent me? Now, the disciples were focusing on backwards, trying to find out how this guy got in his condition, but Jesus was focusing forward on how to use this opportunity to display God's glory. And Jesus uses a phrase, while it is day, and, and the purpose of that phrase is to convey a sense of urgency, because he knows that within just a little while he's going to Calvary's cross, and that's the, what he references when he says, the night is coming so no one can work. And you notice here that Jesus says, we must. He didn't say, I must work the way work works. He said, we must. So he was was sharing that responsibility of doing what God had called him to do with his disciples. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, you were the light of the world. Scriptures here said he was the light of the world. He said, we're the light of the world. We're to reflect his light in the world. And we're to do so with with a sense of urgency. We must never assume, oh, well, if we don't get to it this decade, we'll get to it. Or if we don't get to it this year, we'll get to it. Or this month. You know, we don't have any guarantees that we're going to have another year. There could be some calamity that's right around the corner. Or that person that needs to hear about Jesus isn't going to be here. Something's going to happen to him. And so there needs to be within us this sense of urgency. We need to do the works of God today. That's one of the reasons why we have so many outreaches in our church, like the one on Friday night where there were several people that came forward to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. There's an urgency about it. Now, in times of affliction and sorrow and pain and disappointment and loss, those are opportunities for God's grace and power to be displayed. First off, people who don't have God, when they go through difficult times, they've got to get through it all by themselves. But those of us who know God know God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And when we go through those difficult times, the strength and beauty and endurance and nobility that lives within us because God lives within us is manifest. And we glorify God. Some people they they want to come to God because they think that they're going to get out of going through difficult times, and then they're disappointed in God because guess what? They're going through difficult times in coming to God, we don't avoid going through difficult times. Rather, He goes through those difficult times with us, and we don't go through them alone. And so any time that we are dealing with difficulty in our life, it is an opportunity to give glory by how we handle those situations and manage those situations. And then also, it's an opportunity to glorify God because when we call upon God and we ask Him for help, He comes to our need. And 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 when others are in need and we come to their help, we are showing them what God does, that God comes to their need. And we can give glory to God and show them what God is like. Verse 6, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back. So Jesus spat on the ground. He made clay of the spittle and he applied the the clay to the man's eyes. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, Jesus had earlier used saliva in uh, the healing of a deaf and mute man in Mark chapter 7 and a blind man in Mark chapter 8. But only here did he take that spittle and make it into clay. So questions arise, why clay? Why spittle? Why wash in Siloam? Well, in the ancient world, saliva was often attributed a curative powers or medicinal value. And uh, so Jesus used something that uh, was medicine, what he understood to be medicine. And then the fact that he turned it into clay might be an allusion to Genesis chapter 2 where God made man from the dust of the earth. And so what it shows is God, Jesus Christ is the creator creating from the dust an eye to replace the eye that didn't work. and so it, was, it was showing Jesus Christ in his creative power. And the Pool of Siloam has recently been rediscovered. It was, it was, uh, it was made by Hezekiah uh, in, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, Second Kings, when he found out that the Assyrian army was coming to besiege Jerusalem. And the, the water supply for the city of Jerusalem was outside the city walls. And so it would be easy for an army to come and shut off the water supply to the city. And so what the king did is he created a tunnel through solid rock, to the spring, so that the spring could feed inside of the city. And that's what created the Pool of Siloam. And the name of the Pool of Siloam was sent. And so what John, is the, the author, the apostle, is telling us here is the one sent from God. You remember that that is a theme that he's been telling us about. Jesus says he is sent from God. The apostle is telling us that he was sent from God. The one who was sent from God sent the man to the pool named Sent, so he could be healed.
1: And we'll pick it up there when we come back with another edition of Study Verse by Verse from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. We're going through the Book of John with our teacher, Pastor Leighton Sheely. If you've missed any of the previous broadcasts, they're on our website at studyversebyverse.com. We're a nonprofit outreach. We would love to know that you're listening. That would be such an encouragement to us. You can share that fact with us when you go to the website, studyversebyverse.com. And you can also contribute to this outreach financially. Uh, Safely, when you go to that website, studyversebyverse.com. Join us tomorrow at this same time if you can when uh, Pastor Layton continues in the book of John and we study verse by verse.